Welcome to The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. You think you have five senses. I'm not even going to list them because I can't remember what the hell they are. But maybe you have a sixth sense, and I don't mean ESP, that if you don't master and develop and practice, could really impact your life in a very, very negative way. And we're going to find out more about that on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting from the feet first, because those are your foundation. We're going to break through the mythology, the propaganda, and often the outright lies that people have told you about what it takes to run, walk, hike, dance, play, work out, do yoga, whatever it is you like to do uh, more enjoyably and more effortlessly. I'm Stephen Sashman from zeroshoes.com, your host for the Movement Movement Podcast, where, look, our goal, you may know, is to make natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food currently is, and we need your help for that, which is why we like to say we're creating a movement movement, and we would like you to be part of that. In fact, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. You know how to do that. Go to jointhemovementmovement.com. You'll find all the places you can interact with us on YouTube, on iTunes, on the Google Play, wherever it is, and make sure you share and review and like. And if you're on YouTube, hit the bell, et cetera. If you're on YouTube, by the way, my apologies for not having shaved today. Deal with it. And uh, you know how it goes. So anyway, why don't we jump in? in. I'm trying to think if there's anything. Oh, if you have any questions, feel free to drop them to me via email. Send an email to move at jointhemovementmovement.com. And uh, let's uh, let's do this, shall we? So first of all, I want to say hello and welcome my dear friend, Jim Klopman. Jim, hello, dude. Hey, man. When did you go to radio school? <laughs> <laughs> um, I never went to radio school, but I did when I was living in Manhattan, uh, which was from 83 to 93. I did make a good amount of money doing voiceover stuff. And I'll show you the entire recording session that I did that made me $15,000 one year. You ready? What? <clears throat> Here we go. Ready? I'll do the entire session right now. <clears throat> Fire. Okay, that was it. So <laughs> it was a, a commercial, a radio commercial for the army. And what they used to do is they would get actors to do the radio commercials. And if the radio ones went well, then they would bring in actual people from the military to do the TV commercials. So there was times where, you know, I was, this, I was doing stand-up comedy for a living. There's times where I'd be at some gig and I'd hear the setup for the commercial. It's like, oh, just wait for it. Wait for it. Fire. That's me. And if everyone would go, yeah, right. It's like, yeah, that was me. Nice. Better yeah, be lucky really than good. good. Gig. The voiceover world, you can make a lot of money doing a very small amount of work. Yeah, apparently. Five guys who do most of it, and they have a pretty cushy gig. <laughs> but enough about that. So, Jim, why don't you tell human beings where you're from and what you do, and then we're going to give people a movement to do based on that conversation. Yeah, I'm based in Park City, Utah now, and what I do is I've developed methods and systems and patents and equipment to improve athletic balance. And athletic balance is something far beyond what you get at physical therapy. Most balance training stops at physical therapy a little bit beyond, but uh, we take you all the way up to the Cirque du Soleil level. And we find that there's a direct correlation to balance, athletic performance, coordination, and agility. And we're pretty convinced now that as you improve your balance, you'll also improve your vision as well. Well, so let me back up and just say for people who are listening or watching that while you use the word athletic repeatedly, that doesn't mean this is for athletes far from it. Would you no. like to address that point? Yeah. So another way of saying it's dynamic balance. So, you know, it's movement. You know, the world is built for people who have 
you know, not so good balance because the American Disabilities Act, everything's flat, everything's perfectly staged. So the world is, is set up for people who need canes and walkers, and we end up being stuck in that place uh, as humans. And so the fact is, you do go outside, you challenge yourself, whether on the slope, the tennis court, sprinting, running, going up and down trails, all those areas have higher needs of balance that we don't yeah. recognize that we have, don't have. So let me start with, since I like to give people a movement to do, you and I talked about this right before we got started. Do you want to have people walk people through it or do you want me to do it? Well, there's a, you know, one of our core balance challenges is a balance challenge in an athletic position. So if you go to your physical therapist or the doctor, they have you stand and kick one leg in front and you have a straight leg that's on, you know, into the ground and a one leg pointed out in front. And basically that's teaching you how to balance on your heel with a straight knee a position you're never in in real life. Actually, it's a position you're in just before you fall on your ass. So we like to change that up and say that, first of all, and this you know dovetails into what you two, the big toe is sort of the core of all balance on the foot. So you have to engage the big toe. So we have you stand on one foot. So let's just actually walk people through it. So keep in mind, some people are not in a place where they can actually do right. this. So be it, you'll get the hint. So walk them through and give them an actual... So you can do it next to your desk. You just stand on, let's say your left foot. Some people are in a car. Well... <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do it in your car. You can't. Well, look, if you do it, open the sunroof first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Stand on your left foot, okay. and then you bend your knee so your weight is over your uh, your big toe. I'm gonna do it. Hold on. You stick your ass out a little bit. All right. I gotta. I gotta bend down. Wait. I gotta. Here. I'll change this. Okay. All right. I'm doing it. And then. You know, you just balance and have that other leg behind it. So it's not in front or to the side. It's actually behind it. So you're in a deep, nice athletic position. Yeah. And so you just do that for my right leg is I just bent my knee. So right. Was, yeah. So I just bent my knee. So my heel is behind me. All right. I'm right. Mostly on my and your toe. your knee is actually behind you too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah off yeah. the ground foot, the knee is behind you as yep. well. Okay. And you just do that actually. I mean, if you do it 30 seconds to a minute on each side, it has a massive ability to, to clear your brain and kind of reset your brain and get out of that, you know, chatty conscious brain and takes you in your subconscious. Can, can, can we do the advanced one right now? Sure. Close your eyes. No, we never close our eyes. Oh, really? I love doing no. this one. How come, well, how when you come? close your eyes, what you're doing is you've just played it in my hands beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> so how come? Well, you, first of all, you train yourself to be a well-balanced blind person. And hey, so, there are some blind people listening. You are such a such no, a, well, but but blind people re, blind people well, you actually take their visual cars, cortex. You have an issue with <laughs> they'll, they'll take their visual cortex and they'll change the application of the visual cortex to other senses. senses. So what happens when you close your eyes is you we probably we see there's probably five different systems that are involved in your balance system. Yeah, ones that aren't even talked about in science yet. Eyes, vestibular, tongue, which is pretty well researched palm of the hands, your mapping system, you have a position in your brain, you have in your brain a map of every position your body can be in, your vestibular system, the 100,000 to 200,000 sensors on the bottom of your feet, the muscles on the bottom of your feet. Yep. All these are separate systems that are all engaged in the balance system. Why on God's earth would you take one system yeah. and shut it off Yeah. so you can think you're isolating the other system? When in fact, when we teach people to balance, we improve their eyesight dramatically. They see better. They have better field awareness. They can shoot the basketball better. They can hit the golf ball better. They can putt better, all because the balance system is engaged along with the eyes. What's missing is that when you look at the eyes and you see my hand, yeah. that's only 5% of the data that's going into your eyes. 95% of the data is going to your subconscious mind. Now, there's a large chunk of it that goes to faces. So if I destroyed your visual cortex, 
and you all you saw was black. You didn't see my hand at all. Yeah. You go, oh, that's a happy face. That's a sad face. By the same token, if you had destroyed visual cortex, you could walk down a hallway with obstacles, even though all you saw was black because your visual cortex is destroyed. And there's research that proves this. So our point is huge amount of data comes in through the eyes. And we think shutting off the eyes is something that helps the balance, and it doesn't. I'm not suggesting that it helps it at all. In fact, let me back up a little bit. It actually hurts it to close your eyes. Well, it will hurt your balance to close your eyes. Well, no, of course. But let me, but two things. First things first, let me back up to the intro that I gave for this, which was the idea that, that we could arguably say that balance is like a sixth sense that people do not pay attention to. They don't develop. They often lose it for reasons that we'll no doubt get into. Right. So, yeah. So that's sort of thing. And let me back up also about what you said during the intro. So I would normally at this point, well, not normally, I would hold up a copy of your book if I had it with me, but it's at home and not the office. So I just want to say right now, a lot of what we're going to talk about is in your book. I don't know why you're laughing. Come on. Well, I don't have a copy of the book myself. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Tell people what the name is. The name of the book is Balance is Power. Yeah, so I'm holding up, up, it says And that's one of our core products called the Slack Block, which is sold through Zero Shoes. Balance training device. We'll talk about this, but I hold that up mostly because it says balance equals power. Right. Similar to the title of your book. So, so yeah, no, I'm not suggesting that closing your eyes is good for your balance. Clearly, as soon as you close them, it's like, you know, for most people, all hell breaks loose. No, it's not good for training your balance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Inhibit your training. Got it. I could tell you a funny story about that. There was a situation recently. I won't mention why, because I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, well, because. And uh, anyway, they had me stand on one leg and then close <laughs> my eyes, and then two minutes later said, "All right, I guess you can stop now." Because <laughs> so I was totally fine. And then they put you through a workout, and then have you come back and do the balance drill again, where the idea is after you've done this workout, your balance is improved. Right. And it's similar to when you've seen people with the hologram watches or any other, right. you know, something else right. where, yeah, once you do it once, the next time you're usually going to be right. better regardless right. of what happens in right. between. Because it is amazing to me how quickly people do respond to balance training. We see that too, which is not always a great business model because we can't hook them in for a year's worth of training like they do, it, you know. <laughs> Good. The- <laughs> I mean, well, look, no, I, say that, I say that for a couple no, of it's kind of like chiropractic treatment. I have a good friend who's a chiropractor who hates chiropractors. Right. Salt chiropractors when I say right. that. But unless you can demonstrate that you can make people graduate from what you're doing, then, you know, I'm, tr- right. I'm iffy about what you're doing. Right. Right. So it comes down to, first of all, there's anybody says they know everything about the balance system doesn't know what they're talking about. It's one of the most highly researched parts of the nervous system. It's 40,000 neuroscientists in the world. And they still haven't figured this shit out. I mean, they just recently found out that information you get from the bottom of your feet doesn't even go to your brain. It goes to brain tissue in your lower spine. Oh, interesting. And it's there and it goes back down. That's not so if you look If you look at the whole balance system and you look at the data flows, yeah. it's like a computer network. The data flows are generally closer to the processing center. So the vestibular system's where? Right next to a huge processing center. Right. So you get a lot of data from the bottom of your feet. So rather than spending all the time going up to your brain with the data and then back down again, they have a special mini computer that's like in between your brain and your feet to do the work for it. I have so many punchlines in my head right now <laughs> about the computer um, between my brain and my feet. I am not going to, not going to. But to us, it's a software system. So it, yeah. you're not using it. And we'll have uh, people come in. Let's say they uh, train at a level. They leave our, our session at a level two. Well, they'll come back to the next session and be at a level four. Right. And so the, the system's like firing back up and it's like we've unplugged it and plugged it back in the wall again and it starts coming back. And of course, 
different age groups, different athletes have different levels of progression. But it's truly, it's mind-blowing how quick it regenerates and comes back. Let me back up again, and because I think you know this story, but I'm not sure that you do. I have a personal interest in this, and it's one of the reasons that I've been very excited about what we're doing at Zero Shoes and the response right. and reports we get from people who wear these shoes and what they're right. Because it was a little over four years ago, my dad, who was 80, little 80 and a half at the time, and he had always just been in big, thick shoes and, you know, he kind of right. shuffled yeah. when he walked and he didn't have very good yeah. balance, obviously. And he tripped yeah. on a ledge in a hallway at a business that was, you know, maybe half an inch, three yeah. quarters of an inch and fell down and broke his hip and yeah. was dead two weeks later. And so, really? wow. yeah, it was I mean, I'll tell you, it was crazy. I got a call that he had done this. He was in the hospital, had a hip replacement. I talked to him two days after that. He was totally fine, ready to sue the people who had the thing in the hallway. Yeah. And then uh, and then three days later, I got a call from the hospital. It's like, your dad just coded. You better get out here. We just paddled him back. And maybe four or five days later, you know, that was that was the end. I mean, Yeah, and- well, it's, it's oftentimes a broken hip, is it? Is a death knell, but it usually takes longer. But the numbers are yeah. staggering. Yeah. It's 40... If you're over the age of 45 and you go to the emergency room, there's over 50% chance you're there for a fall. Oh, really? Over half of all emergency room visits over the age of 45 are for falls. And those are just the ones that are bad enough that need an ER. So imagine how many more there are. Over the age of 65, it's the number one cause of accidental death. Over age 65, it's the number one cause of accidental injury. And the interesting thing is where deaths from all these other diseases are going down as medicine and drugs get better the deaths from these falls are going up. So you'd think with the ADA rules and the fitness programs and all the healthy things we're doing that these number of falls is per 100,000. This is not a gross number. Continues to go up. So it's not a huge number. So it's the deaths are about the number of those, let's say, of strokes. But it's still... Well, preventable. Oh, my God. Like, hugely preventable. And it's the number one cause of industrial injury, number one cause of industrial death. So it's just massive. And what people also don't realize, this mind-blowing fact, too, is it's the number one cause of concussions. So it's not Johnny on the soccer field or the baseball field or the football field. It's people falling. So they say falls are a $30 billion a year problem, and concussions are a $60 to $90 billion a year problem. So you're talking over $100 billion a year that's costing us because of falls that are totally and easily preventable. Well, so before we talk about the prevention, well, I mean, I obviously I have theories about some of the causes or, uh, right. uh, in general and the increase, but I, I don't want to say it. Let me hear what you right. think. Well, so, I think there's, 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 there's several. We, we have four listed in the book, and here they are. One I'll start with, you, shoes. <laughs> so, but, but enough about me. Talk about my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> so first of all, you know, the, the shoes today, you know, you have an elevated heel. We could rename our company Big Toe Balance because we just think the big toe is a huge component to any balance challenge. So when you look at the running shoes nowadays, which most people don't run in, you have your toes virtually off the ground and right. your heels up. They say a four millimeter lifts a flat shoe. So, but it's from four to 12 millimeters up. Yeah. You know, tilted. And the second part of it is the foam in the shoe sort of inoculates your foot from all sensation. When we balance train somebody, they will come in oftentimes with elastic shoes on for the first trip, first visit, and they'll say, can I keep my shoes on? And we say, yeah, sure, keep them on. And like, because mm, we're taking them to their maximal balance limit. About a minute or two minutes in, they go, my feet are really hurting. Why are my feet hurting? <laughs> yeah. And what's happening is because we've taken them to the balance limit, that foot is going, I got to get involved in this right. shit and I can't 
what's going on? And it's trying to push through that foam to get involved. And we say, okay, take off your shoes. And then we put them on their flat board with no shoes on, no socks too, because that's another level of friction we don't want in there. And they're like, that's amazing. Within five seconds, foot pain goes away. So number one, cause these issues. Number two is, I'll go through the four. Number two is what we're doing now. So I just gave you a discussion on the peripheral vision. As I'm engaging you here, I'm doing what's called peripheral denial. I'm shutting off this system around me. And the more I do that, the more I damage my balance system. Third thing is bifocals or trans, you know, these lenses that are multi-vision. So if I have you know, lenses that are readers on the bottom or bifocals yeah. on the bottom, I'm cutting off the data that's coming in from the bottom. And there's a huge amount of data that comes in from the bottom of the eyes. And these come in through your, your rods, not the cones in your eyes, and they don't need vision correction. And then you well, look- so I want to pause on that one as a guy who typically wears progressives. I'm not wearing them right now. Right. So, which, I mean, if I don't wear them, I can't function because I can't, because, because I got progressives because basically like computer screen distance, I'm totally fine. Anything closer, anything further, I'm screwed. So talk to me about that. Well, if you're doing your sport yeah, and you don't have to have any close up vision. Oh yeah. No, I take them off for that. You do single vision. If you're going in the well, Walmart, actually, I just take them off. I mean, I re- I'm, right. I'm on if a you're track. In Walmart, I, you I need both. You, you need both, right? Because you're yeah. in Walmart. I got to see where I'm going. And I got to read the labels. I understand that. But if you're doing anything athletically, and we'll take people that come in, they'll go, they'll have their dual vision glasses on. We take yeah. them off, and suddenly they're balancing better, and they say, "I can't see." And I go, oh, interesting. I can't see because that's not the data we're looking for. I don't give a shit about that data that you say I can see. Listen, if you take somebody who has macular degeneration, right? And this is particularly the young person who has, you know, some sort of, I forget the name of disease, macular degeneration, which is the central part of the vision gets clouded or disappears. Right. And you put in front of them a cup, a glass, and a plate. And you say, what position is the cup in? They go, I don't know. What position is the plate in? I don't know. They, they can't tell you. And they go, grab the cup, grab the plate, grab the glass. See the two different systems in play there? Interesting. That's the system we want. That's the system we work with. So when we work with that system, and we have tons of different methods of training that system, and it's different than what anybody else is doing. I don't even want to talk about it here because it's just what we consider to be a trade secret. But learning how to use that system improves the athletic ability of the the individual, improves their balance. So back to this periphery thing. So you have peripheral denial because of this. You have the glasses that take it away. You have the shoes. And finally, the fourth thing is that we talked about here is you're moving about in modern spaces in a, in a constantly degrading situation. So right. we say that, you know, you need a walker, like we have zero to hundred scales. So you need a walker, let's say, or cane at level 20. The world is built for level 20. So you've degraded your system to level 20. So it's just like you're never going to learn how to lift 100 pounds if you lift five pounds every day. Right. So you're lifting five pounds every day with your balance system. Then one day you come along and you stumble, all of your dad. Right. And we don't stop. This is interesting. We don't stop people from falling. We cause you to catch your balance, lose your balance, catch your balance, lose your balance. So when you hit the ground, there's no velocity. It's people that have bad balance go. Pudum. Yeah, they just, yeah, they, they topple like a two by four. Very high velocity. So yeah. this system, this, this world we live in with flat floors, perfectly perpendicular walls. I mean, we have this level system built in. So we are totally detuned. So then one day we come along and we get a level 30 or 40 balance challenge and we're shit out of luck. And, and you can be totally healthy. I've had really healthy people come in and see, say, yeah, I've had that fall. 
and they look healthy, they're fit, but they don't have good balance. Right. So the fourth problem is the world we live in. And, and you know, going back to the crazy numbers I was telling you about before, and it might relate to your dad, amongst those falls oh, for people over the age of 65, you know what the number one cause is for those falls? I'm trying to guess. Uh, I'm guessing it has nothing to do with whether you're tall enough to get on that ride. No, I don't know. <laughs> Can I get on that pony? No, it's, it's a curb. Oh, oh, interesting. And so here's the deal. When you see a step, yeah. every step by every building code in every city in this country has to be exact. It can't be an, a, a, an eighth or a sixteenth of an inch off. It has to be exactly the same. But we see curbs all the time but they're always different heights. Interesting. And there are different heights within the same street. So it's something that will cause you, if you don't have this vision working and you don't have good balance, you'll catch your toe on it and go down. That's interesting. I'm just having flashbacks to when I was in Nepal. This was 30 years ago. And uh, have, you, have you ever been there? Mm-mm. So the way, the way a lot of Nepali houses are built, they'll start with a room. Then they need to add on another room and they just right. put it wherever the hell they can. Right. And then they build whatever they need to build to right. you know, get from one room to the other. Right. They're rarely at the same level. Right. They have to build a third and a fourth. It's right. kind of like a, it's like a weird three-dimensional maze right. where none of the stairs match, none of the heights are the same to right. get from one room to the other. It's like totally, right. totally crazy. And you really, it really is, it's like a very cool, entertaining game that you're playing 24-7 just to get around. Well, so if you go, my used to live in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, in this little town right next door, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but the houses are 1670s. And you go in there, every door frame's like this, yeah. every wall's like this, every yeah. floor. So here's the thing I don't understand is that, you know, you look at Google, they were spend so much money trying to make their offices interesting. And they got round spheres here and triangles there and cushy things here, walls that go like this, and right. floors that are dead straight. Now, to me, I understand you got to have, again, for ADA, you got to have flat floors for those who are in wheelchairs, walkers, and canes. Why not have like this, cobblestones, yeah, yeah. Yeah. things that go like this, things that go like this, none of that. And so I just don't understand. I don't know. I just don't get why we get so stuck into this world. And now here's the other thing that happens is when you're in this area and you're in these perfectly, and we talk about this a lot in the book, you're in these perfectly perpendicular places in your office. Nobody ever has ever, ever said, we need to spend more time in the office. (laughs) True. What do you do on weekends? You leave the office, you ski, hike, run, trail run, sprint, play hockey, play tennis, play golf. Everything you're doing is what? Challenging your balance. Riding a motorcycle. You can go to an art museum and challenge your balance because nowhere in an art museum other than the frames is there a straight line. <laughs> yep. So you come out and on Monday, you feel great Sunday night, you go to work and you get debilitated for a whole week. Dunk, 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 dunk. You feel like crap on Friday, got to go back out and recover again by balance challenges. So it's just, it's a, it's a horribly debilitating environment. Apple knows it. So Apple knows that I got this box in front of me, right? And it's totally rectangular. But look at Apple's screensavers. What are they all of? Totally fractal nature. Mountains, you know, trees, all sorts of nature type things. And even their little pink line that goes around drawing lines. Mm-hmm. Nothing is square. <clears throat> nothing that, is straight. That's so cute that you think that's an Apple thing. That was, uh, those were screensavers from DOS computers and then Windows computers. There, there's a whole lot of those wacky little things. But, you know, the thing about screens for me, it, maybe it goes back to your peripheral was it peripheral blindness? What was the phrase? Yeah, it's, it's uh, peripheral denial. So peripheral if you have, denial. have you ever heard of uh, amblyopia? No. Little kids that have wandering eye. Oh, yeah, yeah. So 
what happens is that I is it's not that the eye the eye is getting plenty of data. It's a weak muscle thing, right? But you have to put a patch over the strong eye to make the weak eye start to work. Got if it. you don't do it before age eight, it's incorrectable. Not because the eye can't see. It's because the brain has said, I've had enough of this and right. shut it off. Um, so when you have now, and, there's, and I've spoken to optometrists now who say they see it. Kids coming in like this all day long, and they test the kid, for, and their peripheral vision test is nothing like ours. It's only right here. They go, this kid's got peripheral vision denial. Oh, because he is starting to shut off that part of his brain. Well, the, my my thing to peripheral vision denial is, and I've been I've said this since when, when did I get my first computer in 1983? Is it's difficult for me to deal with computers because I just don't think in a 14 inch or right, 16, 17 or 23 yeah. inch yeah. thing. I don't even think in one thing. I mean, right. you come into my office, there's piles of stuff in right. various places. Right. The only way right. I know where anything is right. is that three dimensional model. Right. It is so difficult for me. It's funny. There's certain kinds of activities that I can't even do in my regular office. So I'm in our conference room right now. If I'm doing right. video editing, it's easier for me to do it here be, right. than it is in my office. And I had an office at one point where it wasn't working for me because the ceiling was too low. Right. I'm like hypersensitive to where so is around me. So if you look at it this way, and, and, and we have a presentation we did on this for management consultant years ago, is it? Go to some corporate office setup, and who has the big window view? Right. So it's always the top people, the CEOs, the tops. And what do they do when they have some deep thought to do? When you see photos of any CEO Fair in deep window. thought, is Fair he sitting window. on his desk like this? Yeah. Looking out his big view. Yeah. Because that is what that does, too, and as we've talked about this in terms of athletic being in the zone, when you have that big view, and I'm pulling in as much data as I can, yeah. Your brain, your conscious brain shuts off. You can, everybody that's in the audience right now, if you just turn to wherever you are and don't look at one spot, but try to see everything you possibly can, you won't have any conscious thought at all. It's funny. I just had a flashback. I was with some people, a bunch of marketing things that we were doing. We were in a restaurant and we were sitting in a corner booth and I'm working on a problem. And I said, wait, wait, I can't do this. I have to get out of the booth to do it. Because right. in the booth, the ceiling was like- Right, seven, exactly. And the restaurant was like 15 foot ceilings. I had to get more space around my exactly. head. Yeah. And so you're sensitive to it. But now imagine every person in every job in this country that's in those spaces. Yeah. It's a it's a total shutdown mode. So God, it's really fascinating. I'm also thinking it's like the the, <laughs> the amount of work that I've done sitting in a hot tub late at night. The first right. few years of this company, we lived in a house, we were renting a house that had a hot tub and I would just spend hours every night just kind of sitting out there because that's how I could get my best thinking done. Right, right. Yeah. So I want to back up this is a thing I say often in these podcasts. Why you? How the hell did this happen? Where did, how did you get into this? Who are you? What are you doing here? Well, <laughs> it's, it's been really a myth, what is it, myth of sisters, whatever type of project. So when I was 50, I spent a day skiing with Stein Erickson, just he and I, and he was 74. And I asked him, you know, how do you ski so well? I could ski better than he could at that age, but still. I didn't that day because I didn't want to embarrass him. But, you know, he was, it was amazing. And uh, we just had the most fun. I had more fun talking with him than skiing with him. But he said, well, first of all, he called me Jimmy, which was interesting because my only people call me Jimmy are the people that knew me when I was like eight years old. But he said, Jimmy, he said, I ski every day. Okay. I can't do that. So I asked him about some of his gymnastic work. And he said, yeah, I used to do gymnastics when I raced. And he said, I still do some of it. 
And I said, but you know, I, I think it's interesting that we see a lot of athletes age out who have great physiques and great muscles because fitness has gotten so great. And of course, you can buy really good vision, so they're not aging out. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going to say you could buy really good muscles. You could buy. Well, you can that too. But, but you know, so like why was an athlete aging out? And I thought, well, maybe it's a balance system. So mm. I messed around. I looked for all sorts of balance challenges in the industry, and there was nothing in the fitness industry that was a challenge. I discovered slacklining. When I got on the slackline, walking didn't make sense to me because putting one foot in the front of the other is no, nothing that you do athletically. So you're just never in that position. True. So I started doing some one foot work and I was ridiculously fast as a skier at 50. Well, age 51, I was faster. So I'm like, wow, something's happened here. So long story short, I engaged a local university, their engineering department had designed a frame for me. We built uh, the frame, we patented the frame, I built a protocol that we patented what I'm stunned by. And we tested it on different athletes. Wait, wait. So was, it, was this for the slack bow? Yeah. Okay. So basically, just to describe it here, I'll let you describe it. for. I've, I've been on one, so I know. But I will let you describe that for people. Yeah, it's basically a two-inch line, adjustable frame that's like a slack line. But what makes it different for us is it's infinitely controllable. And we have on it what's called a slack plate. So wait, I'm going I'm I'm to pause and do Jim uh, uh, to English translation. So what... <laughs> So what the slack bow, yeah, slack bow so. is, it's a suspension system for a slack line. So basically it's, it's portable. It's just imagine, actually, if you imagine a bow and arrow and you take the wooden part, right. the bow and put that on the ground. So the string is parallel to the ground. That's the gist of it. The string is the slack line. The bow is the thing that, that holds it and gives it whatever tension you need. And the, the plate you're talking about is just a piece of wood, essentially. That's about what a foot by three inches roughly. Yeah. A foot by three and a half. Yeah. yeah that, oh, that's pretty good. I was guessing that it fits on top of the slack line. So rather than just having the webbing that you're standing on, you have this block that you can stand on as well. Did I, did I get a good Yeah, image? you did a great job. And so, and we do everything one foot because we determined that all athletic balance is on one foot or the other. You're either transitioning to one foot or the other, or you're on one foot or the other. So this whole thing of balancing with, you know, both feet and we do some two foot balance, but on specific type of equipment. But a lot of times, not a lot of times, but all balance and athletic movements on one foot or the other. Right. So anyways, I got back to my story. So then I tried it. There's no real test of coordination. There's the, uh, what is it, 5-10-5 in the uh, NFL, and there's vertical leap, which they say is a fairly good measure of coordination. So we did a vertical leap test on, it was only like 10, 12 athletes, and we had them do 10 sessions of the, of the patented 12-minute routine. And every athlete except for one increased the vertical leap by over 10%. Mm. No changes in anything else. And also what I found fascinating is when you watch some pre-intervention, they jumped and did their test. And then when you watch them after they did the 10 sessions, their kinetic chain and fluidity was just totally different. They were just graceful. They were ballet-like when they went up and touched. The one guy that didn't do it, he was 5'11". He, I think he had a 37-inch vertical to begin with he went to 41 so he increased by eight percent but he was insanely good to begin with yeah, yeah, yeah. which was also a valuable test because here was somebody who had insanely good balance and, and vertical leap and we improved it so what we find too is that when your balance improves your whole kinetic chain improves and it took me years to figure this out but what i determined was it's a very simple premise is if you define the balance system as an autonomic system which is not clearly defined as such. An autonomic system is supposed to be a system that the human body or bo human has that's automatic and protective. 
So first of all, falling hurts. So I'm pretty sure that stopping falling, we don't think about it, is protective. Right. So when you take something like hitting a golf ball, you can't swing any harder than what your balance system allows because you'll fall over. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're under the age of 12, you can do it because kids under the age of 12 fall all the time because they're still engaging and defining their balance system. If you're drunk, you can do it, <laughs> right? Because you've shut the balance system off. You've right. sort of detuned it. But you cannot swing so hard that you'll fall hitting a belt. Yeah. So this is true with baseball. It's true with you were running and cutting. It's true with long-distance runners. It's true with any of the, the yeah. move, oh, movements. You this. cannot run any faster than your balance system allows. You're, you're going to love this. I think you will. So when I teach people, <laughs> uh, we'll find out. Maybe you won't. I don't give a shit. So when uh, <laughs> one of the reasons that we get along. One of the things that I do when I'm teaching people how to run naturally, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be barefoot. Right. But I'll usually do it barefoot. We'll be out in a park somewhere. Right. And uh, this is not about running per se, because I'm not uh, a fan of teaching someone to run on grass, because that's like taking the padding from your shoe and just taking it sure. around. And right. you don't know what the hell's under there anyway. But what right. I have them do, I go, pretend you're a kid. Watch what kids do when they're like goofing around and playing. So keep your arms by your sides. Like, don't try to use your arms. Right. And basically, just lean your head until you're about to fall over. Yeah. And then just do the barest thing that you can to keep yourself from falling on your right. face. And just keep moving your head in these wacky different directions and let your head guide you. And it takes people a while till you can see that they're, you know, constantly just on the edge of falling, but not letting themselves. And then they start having so much fun. Right. Such a great goofy thing to do. You're just letting yourself fall and catching and fall and catching. It's a blast. Well, in all balance challenges are fun. I don't, I recently, you know, stopped training anybody under the age of 15 years old. Because because they come and they have too damn much fun. Nobody's listening to me. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, I got specific protocols they're supposed to be doing. The kids are screwing around. I can't. It's like stop, and they won't listen to me because they're having too much fun. So I need somebody who's just a little more serious. I'll you know, my wife Janet's much better at handling that kind of stuff. I can't do it. But anyways, yeah, that's a good thing to do. And you know, that leaning to the side. There's a famous basketball player. Kyrie Irving had a video. Someone did a video of him warming up and he did that leaning to the side and his, he's truly one of the most athletic people in the NBA. That leaning to the side looked like he was doing it with CGI. It was incredible. <laughs> wow. Cool. How far over he was. So yeah, those, that kind of stuff is good. All, all that's good to challenge your balance. Now the only problem we have with that is when you lean to the left, you end up putting the weight on the outside of your foot. And there's nothing functionally balance-wise on the outside of your foot. That is true. Here's a question. But keep doing it, Steve, because I know it makes you feel good. Well, yeah. I just just do it for the fun of it. That's all I care about. Let me me ask you this while I scratch my eye. So what's your take? And I, not surprisingly, have an opinion about this, but I'm going to ask you as if I don't. What's your take on the whole trend in the fitness world about instability training, you know, doing things while you're on a BOSU ball or on a stability ball or on Well, a- it's, it's kind of, you know, some of the things you're seeing now, they're using my methods that I've developed years ago. But Bastards. we, you know, I had a website recently asked me to write an article because someone had just written an article reviewing all the unstable surface training research that was out there. Right. Which proves unequivocally that unstable surface training doesn't work. Right. And I've looked at all this research and the protocols suck on every one of them. There's one bit of research that was just done in Spain a year ago that used my methods that proves it does work. So 
define to the extent that you're able slash willing slash whatever define somehow a difference between what they're doing and what one of your methods might well, be. Well, one of the things they're doing is a, they don't allow progressions. What do you mean? Well, it's like, Hey, Steve, we're going to prove that lifting weights is going to make you stronger. Okay. You ready for, so I'm going to give you the protocol. Here's five pounds, lift it three times a day for the next six weeks and we'll come back and test you. Got it. Versus, versus increasing the weight over time. Yeah. Secondly, what happens is, are you, what are you testing at the end? So there's a real tendency in the, look, it's called strength and conditioning. And I'll tell you a story about why it should be renamed strength, conditioning, and control. So everything with balance, and you see all these people doing is balance work and lifting weights at the same time. Right. It's like, why not brush your teeth and comb your hair at the same time? It just doesn't make sense to do them both at the same time. Either build strength Mm -hmm. or improve your balance system. And it is the core of all athletic movement, but it gets just a modicum of attention. It only gets like three minutes a day. Weightlifting, movement patterns, skill building patterns, those are all more important than building up the balance system. And what we say, and we're working on a device now to measure athletic balance is, do you know how good your balance is? You don't, you know how good your heart rate is, all these other things. Yeah. So I come back to that's one reason why. And then what you're seeing too is like the video of Alvin Kamara. They, they buy our equipment down there and he's standing on a medicine ball and he's catching sticks, the heco sticks, which are good things to do. We do it differently. We don't put people in medicine balls, even though Alvin Kamara is doing it right. He's engaging the front part of his feet. Most people are like this on a medicine ball, mm. like that. The legs are bowed. Again, outside of the foot, nothing happens there. So Secondly, when you look at most people when they try and balance, them, they basically try to put their feet on the outside and squeeze in rather right. than standing on top and using their feet. Okay. Exactly. And the great thing, and I complimented the guy, he and I emailed back and forth, and I just can't remember his name now. Sharif is his last name. But he, if you look at that video that went viral of Alvin Kamara, he's got the area cleared. There's nothing for him to fall and break his neck on. Secondly, all, I mean, there were strength and conditioning coach one after the other, just peed all over this guy for doing it and oh it's dangerous oh how does it affect you on the football field oh you know all these criticisms a i think the most important thing we know in our science is our progression we'll put something we i have a golfer on a medicine ball on our social media stuff we did a few weeks ago but this kid's been training with me for six years right he's progressed to that if you put somebody on a medicine ball that hasn't been progressed they're gonna be swiss ball they're gonna fall and break their neck so there is that kind of unstable surface train. Now, there's other unstable surface train that we call earthquake equipment. And this is, I've gone to the biggest, fanciest me- medical balance training centers in the world, in the country, excuse me. And they have these plates that are moved by servos underneath you, right? right? They're going right. like this. So, so it's, it's an earthquake. Yeah, mi- mi- miniature version of a, of a mechanical bull. Right. Well, but my balance challenge is A, I'm, I'm standing on a piece of, something flat right now and it's solid, but I'm still moving the challenge. Right. So if I get on an unstable surface that's generated by me, it's that same thing and it's exacerbated hundred percent. We take golfers through their movement patterns on solid ground. And then we put them on an unstable, our own de- designed unstable surface. And they find all the flaws in a golf swing right off the bat. And I right. say to them, it's minuscule when you're on solid ground. It's magnified when you're on the unstable surface. But when you get back to the earthquake machines, I don't know where that stuff's coming from. I suck right. at it. Going back to your <laughs> vision thing, I have it's in the book. I have pictures of I have a lot of brain damage in the back of my head. So my cerebellum has a lot of brain damage. And I probably there's nobody my age in this country has balance as good as I do. 
But if I close my eyes and I stand on one foot, gone. It's scary how bad yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I never, I've never looked to see. I've never looked for videos about professional bull riders on mechanical bulls. But I would be willing to bet that they're not a whole lot better than people who just hang out on mechanical bulls because there's no doubt that they're getting a whole lot of information about just some, you know, some natural thing that you start to figure out from being on an animal. Well, there's, there's, but there's two, I mean, we see two different types of balance. There's foot-based balance that comes from the ground and then there's yeah. ass balance. And so maybe, if you're a mountain biker, horseback rider, we've trained horseback riders and they, their balance improves dramatically. And then the horse says, oh, I'm feeling a, more comfortable because they don't want to hurt the person on their yeah, back because yeah. they get, they get in trouble. So they'll move quicker and gracefully and better because the person on the back has better balance. But that's ass balance. So this took me a while to figure out too. I, I bought a couple of unicycles. I was going to learn how to ride a unicycle. Well, I get on the unicycle. It took me nearly two years to figure out the unicycle is ass balance. Right. So I, how well can I sit on my ass and not have much pressure on my feet? Now, when I ride my mountain bike, totally it's pedal balance. Yeah. I'm going around turns. I'm on my pedal. But a bull rider's got ass balance. A horseback rider's got ass balance. A mountain, a mountain biker, I mean, a cyclist has ass balance. Those are different balances and you're balancing old, through your feet. How old were you when you wanted to learn to ride the unicycle? 64. Okay. Our realtor, actually, our commercial realtor, he rides a unicycle all over the place. Yeah. Um, he's been doing it since he was in, I don't know how long he's been doing it, but let's just say his children have a very hard time with the fact that that's what he does. Yeah, well, it's good for you. Yeah, once you get it, it's good. I just haven't oh, yeah. put well, you know, It's so funny because actually, uh, boy, one of, my, one of my first, I don't know how to describe this. I learned to moonwalk from a guy who's a very famous bass player. Mm-hmm. And we were at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia together. He, 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 was, he and his brothers were in a, in a band. I was doing magic comedy things. Anyway, he taught me to moonwalk. I taught him to do a standing backflip. Then a whole bunch of us all bought unicycles. And right. thing, the thing that's so funny about ass balance is it's, it's 90% relaxation. It's 90% just right. like, sinking and so I ride a recumbent bike because I'm a dork and I and I've been doing that for Jesus 30 years and you know when I put people on a recumbent they're all freaking out I go look I'm just going to push you you don't do anything you just hang out and just learn to sit and do nothing right don't pedal just learn to you know we'll get you on this little little hill just relax and eventually you figure that out but it's obviously it's a very different thing on uh, your feet yep absolutely so 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 if somebody, you know, what you're, what you're pointing to, which I think is really interesting, is, is two pieces of the puzzle. One is that there isn't an awareness of, let's call balance our sixth sense. There isn't this awareness that this is an actual thing that is important, independent of this instability training stuff, which I agree is just kind of silly. And then there, there isn't yet, and I know that where I'm going with this is something that you're trying to do, there isn't yet a program that has been not developed, obviously, but caught on to give people something that they can do where it is, it is a progressive program where they, where they experience the combination of satisfaction of progressing and the, and demonstrable benefits thereof. And I find this kind of amazing because I'm remembering uh, in the last couple of years, I've been in various hospitals for surgery or whatever, and almost every one of them, actually not even hospitals, doctor's offices as well, where almost every one of them has a flyer from the hospital about some balanced thing for the elderly. And when I look into the program, you know, it's, there's no there there to it. Um, Well, there's two things that go on there. I mean, you know, we, again, like, I mean, I like to focus on the athletic balance. So, 
you know, we have our equipment's being used at the University of Michigan. And I met with them last week and they said, well, okay, but, you know, can you give us a set of gradations? And so you're level one through nine. Right. And we gave them that. And so that's part of what's missing. But what's also missing is the, we don't realize our balance is bad till it's acute, till we've fallen. Right. right. So we have a golfer, let's say, who comes in and he's an eight handicap. I look at his balance. I go, do you know your balance could be improved? Yes. And I said, well, if I improve your balance, will you believe that I'll lower your handicap by 40%? He'll go, no. Right. So we yeah, improve his balance. Me, yeah. Let me highlight that. So for whatever reason, people by and large, and perhaps probably people who are listening or watching this, by and large, don't have the frame of reference to conclude or believe right. that balance may be the fundamental or right. a fundamental problem underlying many of the other issues they're dealing with. Right. So it's, there's dissonance, there's dissonance and disconnect. So we've had golfers that come in, we improve their handicap by 40% within eight to 10 hours, and they come back and you go, how's it going? Oh, you know, I was a six. Now I'm a three. Oh, great. Cool. The balance training worked. Well, no, I bought a new driver. I got a new coach, blah, blah, blah. And I go, baloney. That's just not true. You've been on a plateau for five years. You come and spend time with us. Now it changes. And so there's, there's this incredible dissonance. And, and secondly, there's a huge dissonance because nobody wants to admit I have been busting my ass for seven years to lower my handicap. And you're telling me I just did this for eight hours and I've lowered my handicap. Right. No, I'm an American. I, nothing comes easy to me. I work hard. I buy a better game. I hire the best coach. That's how it works. Don't tell me it's that easy. And so I have this problem all the time. So again, we come back to, here's the thing. There are balance measurement devices. There are measure, static measurement devices. Nobody understands the balance system we do in the movement patterns that we know. So we're working on developing a system where you can say, oh, I'm a 45. I'm going to balance train. Four weeks later, I'm a 75. And look at this. I'm faster on my mile. I'm faster on my 100 meters. Uh, you know, things are going better. My injury's gotten better. So you can start correlating your balance system to other parts of your life. Oh, I feel like crap. I'm going to go, I'm going to go balance train for 20 minutes and come back. Oh, look, it's gone up. I feel great. I'm thinking better. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can correlate it to. It's really interesting. One of the things that people, that I'm amazed people don't, well, let me say it differently. People, especially in the West, I think, I don't know why I said it that way. We think of things as being very disparate and we don't realize the interplay of certain certain right. features, certain functions. So for example, the, the point that you made early on, you know, we have all these nerve endings in the soles of our feet and people for amazing reasons don't correlate or connect that to the vestibular system. It's right. like, oh, my feet hurt or my feet are doing whatever, but it doesn't occur to them yeah. that all that information is part of yeah. what contributes to your yeah. balance. And more, if people do think about how, you're, how you need to have your feet aware of what's going on underneath you, yeah. it doesn't occur to them that if your brain is doing its job correctly, just in the vestibular system, that that, that, that is not just a single isolated thing, that that has right. more global impact on your neurology, not you know across the right. board. But well, you had Emily, I can't pronounce her last name on. Yeah, so she has that mat with the little nubbies in it. Yeah. You know, for years we've had people have neuropathy and they say, what do I do? And I said, buy a doormat that's made out of AstroTurf and take off your shoes and just yep. stand. Activate the bottom of your feet. Well, it turns out Harvard's got a thing that somebody developed at Harvard. Did you stick inside the foot? I mean, in like Emily's yeah, foot pad. The vibrating thing. And it has little tiny electrical currents that go right. into it. 
And, the, imme- and immediately you're bound. Well, I know. Well, you know, look, I, it happens every about once a year where someone has developed some kind of, you know, magic vibrating, whatever for your feet or your ankles. The most recent one was the University of Delaware got $440,000 from the Michael J. Fox Foundation for a vibrating thing. I don't remember what it's called. You put it on your ankle and it vibrates your, your ankle. Oh, sure, 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 sure. It tells you when you're off balance. I've seen well, that. Well, vib- it doesn't even do that. It just vibrates. Right. It and makes so it. Yeah. They, they show video of some of the people using this who had Parkinson's and it was Im- helping improve their Parkinson's. Right. Syndrome, uh, symptoms and what you see is people in these big thick stiff shoes and it's like a vibrator and i've written repeatedly every time one of these studies come out you don't need the magic vibrating thing take your damn shoes go outside and walk on some gravel i mean my god and now with emily stuff yeah we actually just developed a sandal with emily using that material and it, right. it just amazes me that and i actually contacted the michael j fox foundation and said yeah i'm glad you spent 440 grand how about spending 50 grand to show you don't need that and all you need to do is walk around <laughs> and let your feet feel the ground i'll tell you a, a secret we'll find out how many people watch your podcast but <laughs> <laughs> what are you implying jim jeez man that was rude we uh, when we see competitive balance type products and we see people on fat shoes with turned up toes we know they don't know shit about balance yeah absolutely no, it really, it, it's, I'm just sort of fascinated by the question. Look, fitness trends or fitness fads have these interesting life cycles. Like, look, I remember, you remember when the shake weight came out and it was a, and it was mm-hmm. a, and they made, they made jokes about it on right. Saturday Night Live and everyone right. thought it was going to crash and burn because it's the silliest product ever. Right. And then it, it, it survived. I mean, they've sold millions right. of them. Right. Uh, what's the thing called? It's, a, you know, it's, it's a, the little vibrating pole. You know, flex. Yeah, vibrating, yeah, yeah. yeah, Same thing. You know, those came out. Yeah. It was an infomercial product. Yeah. And then within a few years, now they're using it in physical therapy offices. Right. And so I just keep thinking about this phenomenon of what it takes to make people aware of balance as a fundamental issue for almost anything that we're, we've been talking about and then have, again, something where they can, where consumers can wrap their brain around, here's what I need to do to make that work better. It's something that's, you know, that's easy for them to grasp, something that's easier for people to understand. And I'm not saying that it doesn't really exist. Look, the slap yeah. block, I'm holding it up again. Yeah. Great tool. We have them in the office. We sell them on our website. Yeah. Every time somebody walks in here, they hop on it and we've sold a lot of them as a result. Yeah. I mean, that and I'm just, I just keep thinking, this is one of those things that gets me frustrated that there's right. something that is so fundamental and so beneficial. And but you, but you see it in your, you see it in your industry and I, I'll give you an, an example. Well, you know, here's the difference. Here's the difference with us. With us, we're fighting a hundred billion dollar, you know, behemoth of people who have been doing the opposite of natural movement footwear. For you, it's about breaking through to some kind of awareness that didn't even. Oh, exist. that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, but still for us, we're competing against you know, the fitness people were competing. Listen, we had a had a guy recently from a Division One football team, strength and conditioning coach, buy a bunch of the slack blocks from us. And he had seen them at Michigan. So we were talking and I said, he said, what are some of the results? And I said, well, you know, we've heard that it reduces ankle injuries almost to zero because, you know, the stabilizers go and you can see it. Was, you've seen it. Somebody gets on a block and is wiggling too much around the ankle area. You know, they got weak stabilizers. Yeah. Over time, it gets better. So he starts going on, and I have purposely not learned the Latin word for any muscle except for maybe glute, because <laughs> I don't want to have that conversation with anybody. So he starts going through, oh, we're going to train this muscle and that muscle around the ankle, and we're going to do this, we're going to prevent it. And I said, you know, you're a strength and conditioning guy, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but everything to you is about building up a muscle. And you're building up these really big, strong muscles in these young people's legs, and you're not putting in a commiserate control system. And because you're not, 
And they're doing it in the NBA too. And it's all through basketball now. There's a big article on ESPN about this recently. There's catastrophic breaks. Right. Tips and breaks, the foot's up around the calf. It should never happen. Right. And so he says to me, he goes, there was a pause. He goes, hmm. At my last job, we had four tip fib breaks in one year. Wow. Right? So wow. the thing about when I watched the NBA playoffs this year, when you watch Kevin Durant get hurt, yeah. you know, he had, a, he had a sprained calf muscle that went into a torn Achilles because somebody was strength training him, put that whole thing out of balance, didn't put a control system in place, and he balance trains. Right. He didn't balance, do any balance training after he strained his calf muscle. And then you watch Clay Thompson, who's one of the best athletes in the league, had injured some muscle like a few weeks before. I don't know what they were doing with him, but he's so athletic, he should never have torn his ACL from a jump and landing like that. Right. So the strength conditioning is just a lousy name. It should be strength conditioning and control and nobody working on control. Yeah. Well, look, even the strength and conditioning is, is arguable. And then, of course, the backing up to my domain, the footwear side, Irene Davis at Harvard at a panel discussion at the American College of Sports Medicine National Conference last year, she said to the panel, it was me, Tony Post from Topo Athletic, and then guys from Brooks and guys from Adidas, she said something along the lines of, you know, in the 60s, we were wearing thin-soled running shoes, we were playing right. basketball yeah. and Chuck Taylors. Right. We, we weren't seeing the kind of injuries or severity of injuries or the number right. of injuries we're seeing now. So what problem were you trying to solve and why didn't it work? And they had like no answer. And yeah. you look at, you know, I don't have one here. We've got some basketball shoes that we bought just to see them. They're stiff as a brick. Like right. you said, giant elevated heel. The only places they bend is somewhere the foot doesn't naturally right. bend. Big flared soles that as soon as you get over one edge, right. you're over. You know, if you look at Zion Williamson from Duke when he blew out of his Nike shoe, right. that wasn't the interesting part. The interesting part was why he blew out of that shoe was he got slightly over the edge of the right Numbers. on the right shoe and he just like fell over and just tried to stop himself right. with his left foot. I mean, he could have had metal shoes. It wouldn't have mattered. He would have blown right. out of them at that point. So, but here's what they're doing, though, and, and this is the big secret. Roger Federer, the shoes he plays in are closer to your shoes than anything Roger Federer sells through Nike. Uh, and so when oh. you start looking around on the golf course, yeah, same thing. these guys are in tune to this. Now, secondly, and these, these are things that are, these are decisions made by Roger Federer, not by Nike. Absolutely. We developed, when I was at Russell, we developed the first wicking technology in the world, and we were four years ahead of Under Armour, but the company was 100 years old and wasn't into it. But you know, I would go and left with the company to sell wicking technology to Nike. And I visited them 30 times. And they'd tell me, no, 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 it's never going to work, never work. No one's ever going to wear polyester. Then they developed their whole system. But they don't care about the athletes. Even today, you'll see Nadal out there wearing a wicking T-shirt. If you have true wicking material like we had, your shirt will never get wet. The moisture hits the shirt, dissipates so quickly, it never gets wet. Now, Roger Federer... When he played for Nike, he was, I'll guarantee you, he was not using Nike fabric. He was developing the best fabric manufacturers in the world were in Switzerland. He had a Swiss fabric that he was making up his Nike shirts into. So this whole thing about them caring anything about the athletes is bull. They don't care about the athletes. They want the cheapest, sexiest thing that they can put on you and be done with it. In terms of performance, they don't really care. It's one of those things that that I do find endlessly frustrating is when some athlete does something in some shoe and people go, Ooh, I want that shoe. It's like, you're not getting that shoe. Exactly. Oh, that's the truth. Yeah. 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 So, all right, we got a couple moments left before we wrap it up. So I'm trying to think if I, I don't have some pithy, something to close on. Uh, 
So well, that's there's, shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a comedian. Un- unfortunately, he's no longer alive. A comic named Ronnie Shakes. And if anyone, if you can find video of him, Ronnie Shakes, he was a one-liner comic well before yeah. Steve Wright. And um, <laughs> his closing line is, you know, they say it's important to have a really good closing bit. Well, let's just hope that next guy has a good opening bit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how exactly. I feel right now. So, uh, so if if you can, uh, I'm trying to think of a thing. Uh, this is a question that that a friend of mine was asked. He's a psychologist. Which was, if you had to sum up everything you know in one sentence, what would it be? And his line was, "No one's ever upset for the reason they think they are," which I thought <laughs> I thought was brilliant. Yeah, it's a good one. So we could close on that. But if you're in a you're in an elevator, it's about to fall, you've got, you know, 20 seconds worth of free fall and someone next to you says, all right, I'm just curious, you know, I want to be prepared for my next life. If you had to give me one sentence for something that was the most important thing I need to know based on what you've done, what would you say? Well, I'd say jump just before the elevator hits the bottom. But doesn't uh, <laughs> Oh, I mean, you know, in 20 seconds, is, is it, you've got to answer this, these, these two provocations. You know how good your balance is and you know all the things it affects in your life. It's the biggest neural system you've got. So when you're standing, just standing, you've got hundreds of muscles that are being fired all the time. So why, you t- let's take a sport like football. And I know 20 seconds is almost up. You take football, the number one objective is to knock the other guy off balance, either by hitting him or juking him. Why doesn't every football team know exactly how good the balance is on every player? And why don't they spend all their time training them how to do balance? That's all the football's about. That's great. Get around you, or I'm going to knock you over. All balance. That's great. I used to have fantasies like at five foot five. I don't have a lot of football fantasies, but every now and then I would imagine one because I was doing Aikido for a while. And I just love the idea of, you know, someone coming at me and being able to do some sort of nice Aikido move, which is all about people's balance. A friend of mine, well, I had an Aikido well, there's team. A guy, there's a guy named Sproles who's like five, six, and he's amazing. He does that. I love that. There's there's a, an Aikido teacher friend of mine, a guy from Brooklyn, who during one class that he was leading, he taught you know all these different moves. And someone said uh, to him one day, how many different Aikido moves do you know? And he just thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. He goes, one. That's pretty much, hey, one. here's this hole that you're about to lose your balance and fall into. Right, exactly. Right. And that was a good yeah. one. So, all right, Jim, uh, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to and how they can improve their balance, how would they do that? Well, everything Slackbow, S-L-A-C-K-B-O-W, whether it's social media or website, slackbow.com. That's every, everything we do. And plus, I got to say that Zero Shoes is, is the only other company online that sells our product and they do a wonderful job selling the Slackbox. So we appreciate that. We really oh, no, it's, it's our pleasure and we're, we're happy to be helpful for you as well. So uh, go check out Jim at slackbow.com and find out more. We couldn't recommend him enough. And want to thank you for being part of this. Uh, thank you, Jim, and thank everyone else for being part of this episode of the Movement Movement Podcast. Again, if you want to find out more about what we're up to and check out previous episodes, et cetera, go to jointhemovementmovement.com. You'll find all the places you can interact with all of our materials on you know YouTube and Facebook and iTunes and Google Play and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Remember, we are here because of you. We're trying to make natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food is. If it weren't for you, that wouldn't happen because it's going to take a groundswell to overcome the hundreds of millions of dollars of advertising telling you that there's something wrong with your body and you can't use it the way it's designed to be used, which blows me away. So again, if you want to be part of the tribe, Please subscribe, like, share, hit the bell, tell your friends, leave reviews, do everything that it takes. If you have any questions or suggestions or anybody you think should be on the show, just drop an email to move at jointhemovementmovement.com. I'm sure there's other things I'm supposed to say, but I can't think of them. So, Jim, thank you again. It's been a total treat. Thank you. I enjoyed it too. See you, man. Everyone else, cheers and live life feet first. You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashen. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe 
at jointhemovementmovement.com.